Hi, this is K.S. Garner, and this is my podcast. It's uh, called Solo Nerd Bird. It's called that because it's about my personal adventures or experiences going by myself to different events around town, around the country even sometimes. And I was wondering if other people may have similar stories to tell. But today, this episode is mainly about a super, super brief history of anime. What inspired me to create an episode of anime, or history of anime, was two different factors. One was recently Megan Thee Stallion, the rapper, did a magazine cover where she did a popular uh, anime character. She did cosplay of a popular anime character. And, like, the internet just blew up because of that, like, for oh, this rapper, you know, very attractive woman, you know, she doesn't look like the typical nerd that you would see, like, on a Big Bang Theory or um, Revenge of the Nerds. Where everybody's mind, in their mind, that's what nerds and geeks look like, not what she looks like. And it looks like she's a black woman. She's a young black woman that is into anime. And... A big part of the internet, like the nerd part of the internet who likes anime, who likes cosplay, were like, hey, you know, we exist. We've been out here going to conventions, doing cosplay here and there. And it's mainly like esoteric. Like only people who are in anime would know it. And then people outside of anime or like casual anime fans look at us like we're weird, you know, just losers. But now that Megan has exposed this other side of an anime fan, now it's kind of like it's getting cooler to be in the anime or to be a nerd. The other part of why I'm doing this episode is because I saw a documentary on Netflix about the history of anime. So I'm like, oh, you know, this would be nice to watch. It was like an hour, maybe an hour and a half long. May not, maybe not even that long. But um, when I was watching it, I was like, where is the history of anime? It's just mainly what anime means to people nowadays. And some of them as they were growing up. But it didn't really go into the history of anime. Like, when did it start? You know, who were the big key players? Or some of the big anime or manga during that time when it started and you know, maybe why did it start or anything like that. It just went to, um, Atuku, what was it, Atuku, I'm sorry, I'm going to be butchering a lot of these Japanese terms. Like, maybe it's my accent, maybe I just simply don't know how to pronounce it. I think that's it. I just simply don't know how to pronounce these words. But bear, bear with me, please. So, it, it just talked about, uh, Hatuku, which is a term, a Japanese term, for anime fans like hardcore huge anime fans and cosplay fans and it's like this is a lifestyle this is not just something they do on the weekends doing certain events like this is a life like they wear some of this stuff to work maybe not in japan but they definitely do it here in america maybe some other western worlds but it's like it's it's a life they, so they went into that and some of the creators of 
more modern anime, but nothing from a really long time ago. And if it was, it's really obscure. Like, even I was like, what is this? You know? So, and it was mainly the, the anime on Netflix. Since it was a Netflix documentary, it was the stuff playing on Netflix and not anywhere else. And I was like, okay, they're just, this is just a, a reason for them to promote their own anime. And this is, some of it is not even theirs, really. But anyway, it, uh, I guess the best part of watching that anime was me doing my own homework, my own research for anime. And I'm not like, I'm not an otaku type person. Like, I liked anime growing up as a kid. Like, I would watch Adult Swim, Pokemon, Dragon Ball Z, Sailor Moon, you know, the typical you know, getting your feet wet type of anime. But I'm just getting back into it now as an adult. So again, please bear with me. You know, I'm just getting back into it. Again, I'm going to be butchering a lot of these words in Japanese. And it's going to be, sorry, it's going to be a lot of pauses. I actually took notes too, so you might hear some paper ruffling around. So again, please bear with me. So... Where I got a lot of my information from is liveabout.com. And it was recently updated in April, April 27th of 2019. So, here we go. It dates back to the early 1900s. Most of it was just basic 2D materials that they used. Chalkboard drawings, painting directly on the film, paper cuts. That was all before the cell anime animation what we're used to nowadays. Uh, during the 1930s, nationalism was on the rise and the start of World War II animation was either commercially oriented or government propaganda. In 1948, right after World War II, Japanese animation was now finally created purely for entertainment purposes, which came to be... Toei animation. Um, again, uh, hopefully I'm pronouncing that correctly. Uh, their theatrical releases were in the same lane as Walt Disney in execution, but the reaction wasn't as highly regarded as his until um, Rashomon that really got the attention of the world. It was by Akira Kurosawa's. Again, I'm butchering this. Hopefully I can uh, take some more notes and write it down and you'll see it at some point. You, you'll see, when I write it down, you'll see what I'm talking about. Um, but uh, TV in the 1960s is what really pushed Japanese animation to the forefront of popularity. Like uh, Sally and the Witch. Um, Tetsujin 28 Go, it's, um, I guess it loosely translates into Kid with His Giant Robot and Cyborg 009. For a long time, Japanese animation was created mainly in Japan by Japanese people, but eventually Japanese anime would make its way into English-speaking countries with no real link to Japan. But um, that changed with Astro Boy in 1963. Uh, adapted from 
Ozumu, 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 Tezuka's manga about a robot boy with superpowers aired on NBC thanks to Fred Lad. Lord, Lad. I'm hopefully I can. I'm gonna write, I'm gonna take notes and note it down again because I'm butchering a lot of these names. He actually later bought Kimbo the White Lion. Other Japanese animators followed the same pattern, adapting manga, their domestic manga, and then creating anime in support of it, and then shipping it, pretty much shipping it overseas, so it fits more for Western culture. Another classic, other than Astro Boy, would be Mach Go Go Go, or as we know today as Speed Racer. Although many of the Japanese anime was redubbed in English for English-speaking audiences, many of those same audiences noticed the anime was sometimes edited by network censors. It wouldn't be for a while before audiences finally viewed the originals. In the 1980s, many of the animators whom worked in film started gravitating to television to fulfill its expanding talent pool. This period resulted in aggressive experimentation and stylistic expansion. Many of the common tropes found today were coined during this time. The genre mecha, M-E-C-H-A, it's an anime dealing with giant robots and vehicles that were big then, and it's it becomes a theme throughout uh, anime as it grows more and more. Uh, let's see, and some of the major players were, again, uh, Tetsujin 28 Go, Mazinger Z, Space Battleship Zamato, Mo Mobile Suit Gundam. Again, I'm, <laughs> I am just butchering. Anyway, um, the studio that came about during this time is uh, Studio Jihibli. They did My Neighbor, Tutoro, and Spirit Away. So they set up shop in 1980 in the wake of their successful theatrical film, uh, Nao Saka of the Valley of the Wind, Gainax. They created um, Evangelina, and uh, before. They showed anime before before they did their produ production company. Before they started up uh, their own studio, they actually used to show animated shorts at conventions, so they gained steam. So when they built up their own studio, so when they created their own production company, they were able to get backers because they had already built a platform and already had fans. Some of these ambitious animators didn't always do well financially, and their commercial efforts sometimes failed. But a new innovation would help reignite their creative and financial efforts and bring new and old audiences together. Will be not now known as home video. Does anybody remember home video? Am I uh am I telling my age? <laughs> home video radicalized anime more than TV ever did. On this platform, viewers could casually rewatch and share amongst other diehard viewers and fans, aka Atsuku, which is what I spoke of earlier. They're diehard fans. It's, that's, this is a life. This is not just something they do on the weekends. 
With home video, a new sub-market was created called Original Animated Video, or for short, OAV. This allowed more ambitious animation and experimentation without the fear of commercial failure. The adult-only niche, hentai, <laughs> spawned as well, despite censorship domestically and abroad. So hentai is the anime, it's like pornographic anime with the octopus tentacles and robots and people having sex with them and it, it that's what that is. It's it's for adults. Most people, even adults, like teenagers probably know what I'm talking about. They shouldn't, but they do. Another platform would be Laserdisc, which became a huge player in regards to distribution for home video. Altaku enjoyed LD because of its home because of its video and audio quality and LD achieved the market share of VHS VHS which were both eventually eclipsed by the DVD and the Blu-ray disc but in the 1990s owning an LD player showed your dedication and hardcore hardcoreness you were hardcore you're not hardcore unless you live hardcore you're not hardcore unless you live hardcore. I'm sorry. Back to what I was saying. Not many TV channels dedicated much screen time to anime then. So many fans imported tapes from Japan, digitally edit their own subtitles into the video, and even traded tapes amongst each other in small unofficial tape trading clubs. This was until licensors came into play. So some of the licensors that came into play to stop all this uh, pretty much like bootlegging other stuff is Animago in 1988, Streamline Pictures in 1989, Central Park Media in 1990, which also distributed their own manga, and AD Vision. And here's a direct quote from the article by the writer because I felt like paraphrasing or editing anything out would just diminish or take away from what they were saying. So here it is. Quote unquote. In 1995, Game Next director Hideaki Ano created Neon Genesis Evangelion, a landmark show which not only galvanized existing anime fans, but broke through to mainstream audiences as well. Its adult themes, provocative culture criticism, and confounding ending inspired many other shows to take risks to use existing anime tropes such as giant robots or space opera plotlines in challenging ways. Such shows earn places on home video and late night TV where mature audiences could find a time slot. Now I use this as a direct quote and focus mainly on this because this was like a turning point. Whereas you didn't have to go out and rent a video. You could, well actually you could. And you could watch it on television but Television companies or net, television networks and producers alike would invest more money into stuff like this because this is what people were watching 
And they may not go where the audience goes, but they go where the money goes. Two major factors that helped anime reach broader audiences in the 1990s. One, the internet. You have mailing lists, you have websites, and you have the wiki pages. So this helped people reach each other faster and just communicate more often with each other. You can be on the other side of the world, but it was just a lot easier to communicate, find, and share with one another. Then you have DVD. It high quality audio and visuals. It was affordable and it gave licensors pretty much an excuse to reissue a bunch of the products that they already had on LD and VHS. But those platforms were becoming extinct. But it just gave them a reason to make more money. But the plus side with owning a DVD versus LaserDisc laser disc and VHS was that DVD offered the original uncut versions. It was all on one disc. And then you had the options of having it dubbed in English or subtitled. Or you could have, maybe you can, I think you can have both. I don't really remember, but I think you could have both, but you didn't have to pick one or the other. It was everything was already included on a DVD. With the widespread popularity of anime titles and English dubs, such as Sailor Moon, Dragon Ball Z, Pokemon, this is, this is all me. I guess I'm telling my age right now, but this is all, all me. It's missing some, but those main three are, are what got me into this stuff. The amount of English dub products rose, producing more casual fans for both broadcast TV and home video. It got to the point where home video stores devoted an entire floor space to anime. Now here comes the incoming 2000s. Japan's bubble economy imploded at this point, or maybe a couple years before. Budgets were cut and revenue declined. The guaranteed, the anime that guaranteed to sell, which was like edgy and experimental, had to be, it had to be shelved for a while. And they started creating anime based off popular manga, manga and had light novel properties such as Bleach, One Piece, Naruto. And then the tension shifted from the original animated videos or OAVs to TV production with the likelihood of recouping costs from, I guess, what they may have lost from the other stuff that they were making before, after, I mean, before the, the bubble economy pretty much burst, right? However, the working conditions among the employees, which was never good to begin with, and it's also repeated comment from the creators on the Netflix documentary, documentary, every single one of them are like, you know, if I could have one wish, it would be to have more hours in the day, or I can go back to living a normal life, or having some time to sleep. Like, I have no time to sleep at all because of the grueling hours to create this anime. And that was just like, the CEOs were like, the managers that or the creators, like the main creators, those those weren't even the um people actually 
on computers drawing, you know, or whatever it is they do on the computers. I'm, a, I'm mainly more of a hand draw than, uh, well, digitally. But yeah, it wasn't even them, it was like the creators. But, um, more than 90% at this time, probably it's the same amount, more than 90% of the animators who entered the industry would leave within three years because of the brutal hours and low pay. Another issue was the piracy. So the internet's dial-up days didn't lend itself to copying gigabytes of a video, but as bandwidth and storage grew exponentially cheaper, it became that much easier to bootleg an entire season of episodes on the DVD for the cost of the blank media. Again, I grew up doing this time too of getting bootleg DVDs, but they were just the worst. They were just the worst videos. People, oh my God, I don't know how we did it. I don't get it. <laughs> By the end of the 2000s, many companies either cut back significantly or went completely under. Many were bought out by Funimation, which has now become the single largest anime licensor thanks to the Dragon Ball Z franchise. But, you know, you take the good with the bad, it's still going, it's still thriving, thanks to convention attendance, uh, non-anime fans, like casual fans, thanks to the English dubs, bonus features that are specifically made for overseas or you say basically Western audiences. And those same piracy sites now are now forced to distribute legitimate copies of the licensed work as before it was like bootleg. But now I figured they, they if you can't stop them, they pretty much joined them or had them, had the piracy sites join in with the licensors. You know, although anime no longer bears a resemblance of what it once was, it lives and evolves, quote-unquote, lives and evolves along with society that produced it in the world that savers it. Again, I'm not optical, not yet. I'm working my way. Like, this podcast is allowing me to work my way back into the world of anime and exploring the world of cosplay so hopefully this gets me in there, but as of right now, I'm not some expert. I can't name a bunch of animes that are my favorite offhand. I got a huge queue of them on my Netflix and Hulu and Crunchyroll, but I'm still getting into it. So please don't be too harsh with me. But yeah, hopefully you all learned something. I definitely learned something. And this is more than likely just part one of the history of anime like there's definitely some terms some creators some anime that i didn't touch on that this article didn't touch on that i would love to revisit at some point if you all know anything that i missed or would love to talk about with me or for me to discuss with some of your input please just shoot me an email i'm gonna uh post up my various social media pages so you can hit me up there if you like or we can have a Skype conversation or a face FaceTime conversation I would love to speak with you all and again my name is KS Garner and this is the Solo Nerd Bird Podcast thank you